Are you a caregiver or know someone who is? In this episode of the Executor Health Podcast, I have a special guest, Marika Humphreys, who shares her powerful journey as a caregiver for her husband during his battle with cancer. From the importance of building a support network to finding balance and resilience, Marika's story will inspire and empower caregivers to navigate their own challenges. Tune in for some practical tips and heartfelt insights that will help you on your caregiving journey. This is the Executor Help Podcast. Learn how to settle an estate, pick an executor, and avoid family fights. For more information, go to davidedy.com. Now here's your host, David Edy. When my guest Marika Humphrey's husband was diagnosed with cancer, their lives got flipped upside down. Here they were working and parenting. Cancer was the last thing they expected. He was scared and she was heartbroken. Caregiving is one of the toughest jobs out there. Along with it comes sadness, fear, frustration, exhaustion, and guilt. Today, Marika works with caregivers to identify their specific challenges so that they can address them and then help them build up their resiliency skills. They're also learning to be more calm and in control, no matter what challenges life might offer them. Marika, thanks for taking the time to be here today to have this conversation. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you for having me. Well, let's go back a little bit. I, I said at the outset a little bit about your personal experiences of becoming a, a caregiver. Uh, what inspired you to focus on helping other caregivers? Oh, that was really something that came about while my husband was battling cancer. So um, his first diagnosis uh, was um, a tumor, a cancerous tumor in his arm. And again, like like you just, you know, uh, explain there, it was out of the blue, as I think is probably how cancer hits most people. None of us expect that or, or any illness or any condition, right? It's often out of the blue. And the first couple of years, we really, we just kind of got through it and we tried to get back on with our lives. But um, cancer is one of those illnesses that likes to often can come back. And so he, uh, basically his cancer came back and that was where we both really thought, okay, we need to do something different here, you know? So we found a, a coaching podcast actually, and then ended up joining a coaching program. And through that program, it's called the Life Coach School. Really, I mean, it was life-changing for, for both of us in obviously different ways, but we, you know, fast forward about a year or so, and we, we both felt like this is something we want to do. And our original plan actually was to, to coach, to, to have a coaching business together where he would coach the person with cancer or an illness, and I would coach their spouse. And, you know, obviously as you know, that didn't pan out as, as he did pass away from cancer, but I really, you know, it, it was so like what I learned become not only becoming a coach, but also getting coached that support. It was, you know, life, life altering. I mean, I felt like and maybe life affirming is maybe even a better word that I, it was just, it was empowering. And I wanted to provide that with others. I had been sort of burnt out in my career at the time. Um, and I just didn't really know what else I wanted to do, you know? So when I found this, the change and the impact it had on me, you know, that was just, it was inspiring, you know? So that's, that's what really prompted me to, you know, want to do this for other people, want to provide this, you know, really, you know, inspiration and support when you're going through a really challenging time. One of the terms you, um, you know, was doing the research on you to have you on the show 
one of the terms that came up was caregiver resilience. Could you explain to me what that is? Yeah. So I think resilience in general is our ability to bounce back. That's that's how most people define resilience. I think for caregiving, that can mean a little bit different thing in that often caregiving can be a long journey. You're not just bouncing back from a, a short-term event, right? You're kind of like, how do you bounce back throughout the journey? And that to me means finding ways to, to manage and cope, but not at the cost of your own health. And I think many caregivers tend to cope and manage, but it comes at a great cost to themselves. And that will eventually lead to burnout and exhaustion and often sometimes illnesses of their own. So having building resilience is being able to handle the challenges that come up, which are, you know, you never know what to expect when you're caregiving. I think it means being able to be flexible, being able to find joy amongst, you know, the the hardships and the sorrow. Uh, I think it also means finding ways to take care of yourself, finding some balance, definitely getting support, you know, being able to solve problems as they come up, which requires energy, which is why you need to take care of yourself. Uh, I think all of those things go into resilience for caregivers. I know you mentioned some of the things to when it comes to caregiver resilience, because you said there's three pillars. Is there more to it that you want to elaborate on how these pillars contribute to building resilience? Yeah. So I have um I wrote an article about this and I I think I think the three pillars for me in caregiving are mindset, managing your emotions, and having being connected and having support or getting support. Um, when I think about mindset or when I, what I mean by mindset is really understanding that knowing that you're, you know, how we think determines how we feel. So when we, you know, feel like a victim, um, or we feel, we think we have no control, it's, that's a function of our mindset. And so for having a, um, resilient mindset means learning to see, get really clear about what are the things that I control in this situation, you know, in this circumstance, and then what are the things that I don't? Many of us as caregivers focus a lot on the things that we don't control, like what the doctor's going to say or how our partner's, you know, feeling and all of these things that we can become so focused on those, but all that we can really control is just how we think, what we make things mean, how we show up, who we're being each day. So that comes with kind of learning, um, that's what I what I mean. I think by a resilient mindset is is understanding your thoughts and then focusing on what you can control. Um, yeah, emotional management is another big one too. I for caregivers, you know, emotions are part of our human experience, and you know we all know that. And yet, none of us like the uncomfortable emotions. We don't like to feel sad. We don't like to feel fearful. Um, we don't like to feel guilt, and I think a lot of us, we don't know how to, um, what to do when those emotions come up. So we often want to push them away or, you know, we have very, like in our modern society, we have a lot of ways that we can uh, numb ourselves to those feelings. And with caregiving, you, I think it's in, in, 
period of intense, a lot of intense emotions and really any big thing in life, right? Any, you know, major um, event, we go through a lot of intense emotions. So you have to learn how to just stop and, and recognize and allow the emotions that you're feeling without pushing them away. Because when we push them away, they just build up. And then that's when you, you know, often you can be overcome with your emotions or you, what it shows up for a lot of people is just exhaustion. A lot of fatigue, especially for caregivers is unprocessed emotions. You know, they've been feeling, they've been fearful. This is one, I had a, a client come to me. She just had been so fearful, but she had just been trying to like be strong and kind of ignore her fear and hoping that her fear would go away. But that's just not what happens. Unfortunately, it just, you know, our emotions just wait for us. And then for a lot of people, they will show up in the middle of the night, you'll wake up at 2am and you'll have like racing heart rate, or um, you won't be able to focus, you know, that's how unprocessed emotions felt. So that's a big pillar of, of resiliency is learning how to manage those emotions. And what about you also talk about social connection and support? Yeah, this is something I learned firsthand. I would say my husband and I learned firsthand because as I mentioned, when he first was diagnosed, we very much had this attitude, like we're going to kind of put our heads down. He had this intense round of chemo. He ended up having surgery, um, which, you know, was, you know, all the ups and downs basically was an, an initial year of treatment. And then we just tried to go back to our lives. And, you know, while we had friends and stuff and people knew, but people knew what was happening with us, but we didn't really seek support for ourselves. We didn't really ask for a lot of help at that time. And when his cancer came back, I think is when we realized, you know, this is, this is something that we, we can't do alone. And I, I think we were both more open to support that's when I, that's when we started looking into the coaching, as I mentioned, I was, you know, I had wonderful friends. I had a super supportive work environment, which was, you know, just huge. But I think it was more my, my thinking that like, I need support and, and, and accepting an off, you know, accepting the help that people offered was initially really hard for me, but something I had to really get over because, you know, you need it. Um, You know, we're, we're, people, we connect, you know, we, we don't live in isolation and caregiving can often feel very isolating. And so yeah, having support and connecting in some way with other people is really, really helpful. And just so you just, you just don't feel, so you don't feel alone. Well, when you, you said your, your husband was, I assume it was in remission and then it, I guess it was sort of a, you let out a sort of a collective sigh. Okay, we've, we beat it or it could come back. And then when it came back a second time, you went, here we go again. We're getting on this ride. And yes. was that where you decide you thought, I can't do this again? I I, I don't know if, if do, do I have the strength to do this? I mean, you have oh, to have strength because you, you're trying to be there for your husband. But internally, did you figure, okay, what do I, what else am I going to need? What tools do I need so that I can, I can get through this a second time? Yeah, there was definitely for me a period of, especially so his cancer actually came back in the form of a brain tumor. 
um, which landed him in like emergency surgery. And then when he was in the hospital, having the, the brain tumor removed, they also did a scan on his body and found that the cancer from his arm had spread to his chest. So it was actually two, two and two different types of cancer also. Um, so at that point, you know, there was huge, I went through like a big period of grief because I knew this was no longer a new thing to me anymore. I knew what we were in for, like you said. And, uh, I remember thinking, I don't want to do it again. Like, I don't want to go through another year or two of just constant treatments and like our, everything became focused, you know, on addressing this disease. And it's just, um, I, I think I, because I knew what we were in for, it was even scarier, you know, before I, I didn't really know what, you know, what to expect, but it was, it was later than that. I mean, as we all do, you know, we adjust to the latest challenge that we're faced with. And, you know, I think his, what was your husband's mindset at that time? Were you waiting to see how he was taking it or were you there? Uh, I'm not going to say cheerleader, I mean, but you're trying to, to pump him up. Yeah. You know, when he, when we found out he had a brain tumor, I mean, he thought he was going to die. That was probably one of the, one of the scariest times because none of us had any, I mean, this was just, it was so scary. Anything, you know, that happens in your head is, is very yeah. scary. And when we got to the, we had to, um, when we got to the hospital, there's neuro neurosurgeons, which there are not many of them, but we talked to the neurosurgeon and he said like, yeah, I do like one of these a day, one of these surgeries a day, which was shocking at the time. But you're also like, oh, thank God, because this is not, you know, it's not is, out of the norm. He knows right? what he's doing. Exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, again, I, it's, I mean, I think he, for him, it was a tremendous amount of fear. I mean, the, the day he was diagnosed, I think he lived with the fear of cancer every single day, every single day. I did not, right? Um, we had this period of remission. And, you know, for me, I think for life did go basically back to normal. But for him, yeah. cancer was always a shadow over his life, always. And that really wore him down over time, I think. So, you know, that initial, um, I, you know, it's, I don't know. I think we rallied a little bit, you know, the, 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 um, the brain, the surgery to remove the brain tumor was, was successful. So I think we just, I don't know, you know, we, we did become closer. It's hard. I'm trying to think back like how he felt at that time, but I think we both kind of rallied and were just, you know, inspired to more kind of fight it head on. Right. Um, in the beginning, you know, with the first diagnosis, there's so much fear and so much we didn't, there was so much we didn't know. It was so unfamiliar. So that was very different the second time, you know, I think we were open to looking at different treatment options. Yeah, it was, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how he was feeling, but I'm, and I'm sure just scared, you know, I, I don't know that he always understandable. that for me, yeah. to me. But when, when it comes to caregivers, you, you said that there's like a shift in their mindset that they have to view challenges as opportunities for growth. Why, why do you believe that? I think that's not 
something that is easy to do in the, the moment. I will say when I look back on my caregiving journey, it is the gift that is hidden is that when you're faced with things that you never thought you'd be faced with, potentially, you know, your partner's mortality and uh, the ups and downs of, of, you know, their health and seeing that. And if you have kids, you know, the impact on your children and all of those things force you to get really clear about what is important to you in life. What do you want to spend your time on? You know, what, you know, it, it forces you to just make decisions that I don't think a lot of times we have to make unless we're kind of pushed up against a wall. So that's where the adversity can become an opportunity to grow through having to, through getting, making the hard choices, figuring out what is it that I really value? Who, what's important to me right now? Is it my job, you know, or is it having time with my kids and how do I manage that? I mean, those are hard questions, you know, and a lot of times we don't have to uh, make those choices always, but when you're when you're kind of facing, you know, less time, less energy, you have to make choices. And that I think, you know, knowing that the choices in and of themselves is part of the journey. And that's what makes, that's what develops resiliency is being able to look at them and make them deliberately instead of just out of um, either like, you know, out of obligation, which I think is what happens with a lot of caregivers or societal expectations or our own expectations. Um, you know, we often kind of just react and, you know, try to just do more. I think it's what happens with a lot of caregivers, but then we, that leads to exhaustion. And when, when people come to me, that's usually where most of them are. And that's where I ended up myself. I mean, I got to a point of just, I was miserable and exhausted and yet I felt guilty about it because I didn't have cancer. So I'm like, my problems are small, right. but the problem is they were my problems. <laughs> so, and because I was so focused on my own misery, I couldn't be the person I wanted to be. I couldn't support my husband like I wanted to, you know? So, and the guilt kept me from is it because you actually didn't know how doing to, anything or about it. is it because you didn't know how to, or you, because all of this is no, it's, from all angles and you, 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 you're kind of, you know, your head's spinning. You just don't know where, where to start, what to do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's not knowing how it's that, you know, when we stop taking care of ourselves, like meaning like doing the things that sustain us. And when we get to a point of exhaustion, when we're tired, when you have no energy, all you can think about is the fact that you have no energy. That's what I mean. Like I wasn't able to be there for him because I couldn't be there for myself anymore. I didn't have anything. I felt like just depleted, right? Which meant that I couldn't be there. I couldn't be, you know, when you're depleted, you're not able to be um, patient. You're not able to show up calm and supportive as easily, right? You often are more on edge. You can't focus. You know, there's a whole cascade of effects when we run out of mental and emotional energy. So therefore all of our focus just come becomes on survival. And therefore I can't be a good caregiver when I'm just focused on surviving myself. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. 
so I know you talked about um, emotional management as, as a critical aspect of caregiving, uh, being a caregiver. That's one of the three pillars. Did you have some, <clears throat> excuse me, some practical strategies for caregivers so that they can effectively manage their emotions during these never ending difficult times? Yes. Yes. I think the number one thing is to stop. Like when you're in the midst of an emotion, whatever it is, whether it's guilt, which, which again comes up a lot for caregivers, sometimes it's, you know, sadness and fear are both emotions that are common. Overwhelm, when we're, our most of our reaction, when I think all of, of us as humans, we do this and we live busy lives, we just try to, we try to bypass our emotions and just like either stay busy or try not to think about it or distract ourselves or go get something to eat. Like we really don't give our emotions any attention. And the problem with that is, again, the emotions don't go away, um, especially when the source, you know, let's just say it's fear or sadness, you know, the source is because your partner's, you know, got cancer or some other issue. So, the advice I have for people is, is you can't ignore your emotions. And the way to do that is when you're feeling them, when you're feeling, let's say, say sadness, stop for just a second or a couple seconds, name what you're feeling, right? There's a, there's a saying, name it to tame it and acknowledge the emotion to yourself. And what I mean by that is saying to yourself, this is sadness and I can allow it, or it's okay to feel it. Like that takes like 10 seconds to do, but just the, the act of kind of pausing in our busy days, right? And just acknowledging this is, I'm feeling sad and it's okay. It's huge. I call it, I say it's like magic because when I do this for myself, um, it's amazing in that our natural re- action is just to resist the the negative emotions we're feeling. But when we give ourselves a minute to pause and focus on that feeling and ideally see what we feel in our body too, like sadness for many people shows up as like a pit in their stomach or sometimes their chest, their throat feels tight. Um, the physical energy in our body of that emotion, just giving it a moment's attention to of yourself, right? It's like, it's like showing yourself love is the way to just let that emotion kind of go through you. And that I think is just something it's not intuitive to do that, but just like a child who's hurting or crying, you know, we take a moment and we comfort them. That's what we need to do with ourselves. And it's not something we think about. And I don't think part of it is, I don't think also we see the importance of it too. Mm -hmm. And what, so what ends up happening is we end up, um, Again, it leads to a lot of fatigue or just buildup. Like my own story before I learned that was we had just come from the, uh, we had just come from the oncologist and, you know, we wanted like this nice clear plan. And this is our, he basically said, this is kind of out of my, you know, this is out of my expertise. You need to go see somebody else. And it was just very um, frustrating and scary and I remember the we had our we had our five year well I guess friend was probably six or so our, our kid with us 
And I remember we, we were kind of wandering through town through our, we lived in a small town through the downtown area after this appointment and ran into like somebody that Ren knew through school, but the aunt of somebody. Anyway, some stranger to me. And I literally burst into tears in front of this woman who I did not know in the middle of a street. And, you know, I look back, I mean, it's funny now to me, but it wasn't funny at the time, you know, you it's, it was kind of embarrassing, but that was just, you know, I hadn't given myself any, I hadn't allowed those emotions to come up. I had just kind of been suppressing them and, and trying to ignore them and hoping they would go away and, you know, that's, that's what happens is they, they just overflow, you know, and often in the, the least convenient or least appropriate times. So we have to give some attention to our, our inner, you know, our inner life, those emotions that we are feeling and that they're okay to feel because they're just part of our human experience. So, yeah, so that is, um, I think the biggest thing that we, this helpful for caregivers, but often the least understood as well. So building a support network is essential. So have you got any advice for caregivers who feel isolated or struggle to ask for help? And I think that's probably a probably a big problem for a lot of people. Um, um, a friend of mine who I golf with, he just lost his uh, wife uh, this uh, past weekend. And I remember, you know, during the summer, you know, I would just ask, how is she doing? And he, you know, he would struggle with just getting it out. But I guess the more he, you know, had the opportunity to talk, the more he would let out about how he was feeling. But, you know, I know he was also struggling to ask for help because he would talk about, you know, he was good at going to get the groceries, but he wasn't good at doing the laundry. He was good at this. He wasn't good at that. So I know he was struggling. Is it hard for caregivers to ask for help? Join me in part two of my conversation with Marika Humphreys. We talk about why building a support network is essential, how caregivers can strike a balance between caring for their loved one and taking care of themselves, and the common challenges most caregivers face when trying to build resilience, plus more. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. To catch up with all the latest from me, go to davideady.com. There you can follow me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.